Grace and mercy and peace be yours from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Our text this morning is that parable of the prodigal son. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus did give us some real gems, but this one has been called the pearl of parables. Indeed, it's a treasure, this parable of the prodigal. It's a rare gem found tucked within the pages of St. Luke's text alone. No other gospel writer records these spoken words of our Lord. Like a pearl enclosed in its oyster, this parable of our Lord has in fact for centuries been called the Evangelium in Evangelio, the gospel within the gospel. And today we consider it carefully, we inspect it closely as we would a precious pearl. And we stand back and appreciate its beauty, but, but most of all we enjoy it. We enjoy it as a priceless treasure given to us. Likely you know the players and the plots of this teaching tale. There are the main characters. There's the father, his older son, the infamous younger one. There's the supporting cast, the father's servants, the employer in the far-off country, his pigs, and the festive fatted calf plots and subplots and so many players it would seem. But really when it boils down to it, there are just three players in this parable. You, our Lord, your fellow Christian. Where do you fit? Father had two sons. Mind you, they weren't servants, they were sons. They had been born into his household. By birth, they stood to inherit the kingdom. Now, ironically, while still at home, the younger one somehow lost his way. He demanded of his father, Father, give me my portion that's due me, that which you've earned, Father, but the portion that's due me, give me my inheritance. Do you know that few things thought or said or done could be as offensive to the father as this? For in demanding the inheritance, the son was in effect wishing his father dead. Because isn't that how inheritance changed hands? What an affront to his father. Can you imagine such a thought or word or deed that for all intents and purposes would be done despising our father and so wishing him, so to speak, gone and out of our lives? Can you imagine? Maybe you can. Do we fit? This father is a kind one. A kind one with a soft heart. He doesn't disown his younger son. He could have. Some say he should have. But he doesn't. No, he doesn't disown, but at his son's insistence, rather, hands over to him what he does own. That promised portion. And soon the younger son is well lost and he's far gone. And we're told that he took all that he had and forsook his father and traveled to a far off country. A far off land and there he squandered, he wasted in reckless living what he'd been given. Maybe you'd been there, that far off country. Maybe you and I have spent some time in that place, that place so far off and so far away that we didn't quite realize just how far out of sight the Father's house had become. 
Perhaps we've been more than negligent with all that we've been given. Perhaps like Esau of old. Maybe we've been near willing to exchange our heavenly inheritance for the short-lived porridge. The stew that satisfies only the cravings of this world and only for the briefest of times. Maybe we've squandered it at times, spending our time and our energies on things that best can be described as prodigal, wasteful. Just maybe we fit in. Fact is, there are so many ways that we would go prodigal in our lives. That's to say that sometimes we, like the prodigal son, stubbornly, we willingly, willingly, we walk away from our father's house, from, from the heavenly inheritance that's ours. Sometimes the way is far and it's long and it's well evident to many when we'd openly and manifestly live life in a way that's not at all pleasing to our, our heavenly father, even to our own earthly fathers. They're the times when we'd leave home, so to speak. And like the younger son from the parable, we don't care who knows We don't care who it hurts. We really haven't thought how deeply it might hurt those who love us most. Stiff-necked, we're determined to do it, and we're going to do it our way. Going prodigal. And then there are those much shorter ways of going prodigal, the more daily, far more quiet ways, when in the moments of solitude and weakness we deliberately give ourselves over into temptation and indulge, whether to gratify the flesh or proclaim in our hearts what we've been coveting for some time. They're not public. They're known to you alone and God. Maybe in the world the consequences are less when the, when the trip is short, but as one has well put it in the eyes of God, the first deliberate step out the door and away is still as damning as being a hundred thousand steps away from home. Sometimes that's how we are. Sometimes that's how we've been as a prodigal son. If so, then watch out for life's famines. God at times will allow the famines of life to fall upon us as, as a famine fell upon that younger son. We're told that after spending all, having been careful and wise with none of all that he had, a famine swept the land, and the younger son began then to recognize his need. It's interesting, the Greek word that's used here in describing him. Hysterestai. It's like the word hysteria. Implies the son began to panic. And why not? Why not, right? He saw that the loose living had left him with nothing Nothing ultimately important to him. Everything that mattered most to him was lost. Now you'd think that it would be enough to bring the young man to leave it all behind and in penitence go back home if home would happen. But look what happens. Look what so often happens. Refusing to turn around and acknowledge how wrong he's been, now he sinks to his lowest. He joins himself to a Gentile and sells himself for pig feeding. You and I might think, well, that's a respectable start, a rather honorable way, perhaps, first step. 
But remember this. Pigs were unclean to Jews. And there he was. Wallowing in the unclean. Even entertaining the idea of devouring it all. God will let us hit rock bottom at times. He'll let us hit rock bottom so that we might see the waywardness of our waywardness. Paul writes in Romans, when we've been stiff-necked, when we've been hard-hearted, then finally God will give us over to, to, to uncleanness. In the lusts of our heart, He'll give us up to it. He'll give us over to, to our vile passions. Why? So that we can see how unsatisfying and how unsavory the pig pen and the pig pods of life really are. You see, He'll do it so that through it, He returns us, or He would return us to our senses. There's that thought again. Returning. Repentance. Metanoia in the Greek. It's, it's, it's being turned around and God does it to us and God does it for us. Through circumstances in life, often through the word of his law, he'll do it. Turning around and heading back in the other direction. And here finally the son, the younger son, is brought to his senses. He knows his father's not to blame. His older brother's not to blame. He's no innocent victim of worldly circumstances. No true confession points the finger right where it should be. It's like we say in the liturgy of one of our evening prayer services, we say, I have sinned by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. And so the younger son, brought to his senses, plans to to head in the other direction, to turn his steps around and return home. But as we so often do, we want to rectify at least in part the situation, in part by the work of our own hands. And so the son, recognizing himself, and rightly so, no longer worthy to be called a son, his father's son, he hopes that by chance he might gain access to the father's house again by work. He'll ask that his father receive him as a workman, as a servant. We do that too, don't we? It's human nature to want to couple our confession with some sort of effort on our part to be pleasing to God and thereby hope to earn the Father's favor or some degree of it back again. We want to broker a deal so often. We want to establish a working contract with Him. I confess my sin, but do I feel sorry enough for it? Have I sweated for the church enough to validate the confession I make with my mouth? And so in this way, the Son returns to his father, rehearsing his proposed confession. But, while he was still far off, while he was still far off, compassion ran its course. While the son was still far off, compassion, the Greek word is, means a gut-turning Compassion. That you feel on the inside, while he was still far off, compassion runs its course before any sort of confession could be made, any token of regret offered or word of reconciliation by the Son put forth. Before it all, the Father finds him. 
before it all the Father who must have been perched there day upon day, hoping and yearning and looking for the return of His Son, before it all the Father finds Him in this noble and this distinguished Father, eyes welling with drops of joy. He gathers up His robe and in the most unnoble and undignified and socially uncouth way, He runs. He runs to embrace His wayward Son. And that's significant. You know why? Because as estates were commonly configured at the time, as the Father dashed down the long road leading away from the main house of the estate, Think of the southern plantations in our country's history and the long roads that so often traveled to and away from them. As he ran that road, all who lived in the surrounding servants' quarters would have seen him running in that way in such an, a socially undignified way. But you know, he didn't care. He didn't care. Undignified as it may be, compassion ran to him who was lost. And he threw his arms around him and he embraced him. And the text says he kissed him affectionately. What else can you say? Don't we fit in? And there the son in his father's embrace, the son began that rehearsed confession. But he didn't finish it. For as one has said, there's no room for deals in a father's embrace. He realized that the point wasn't in lost possessions, or money, but in the broken relationship with his father. One that he of himself couldn't reconcile, the father had to do that. And friends, the father has done it. The Father has done it. God, the Father, so loved you and me in this lost, lost world that He sent His Son. And God was in His Son, Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, repairing the fractured relationship, not counting our trespasses against us. God ran to us. He ran. Unbecoming and uncouth of God as it may have been, He ran to you. And He gathered up His nobility and His divine dignity and, and to you and to me, He ran all the way to the cross, He ran. Whereupon God in Christ reconciled the world to Himself with arms flung wide in the most assuring embrace that a lost one ever has known. And He didn't care who saw Him. For as Scripture says, that for the joy set before Him, us, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising its shame. It's not a shame to run to you. He wasn't ashamed then in Christ. He's not ashamed now. Through Christ and His Word, with all of its dignity, and nobility and sanctity, and yet has He not sent it? His ambassador? Has He not sent it out to find you and me, even into the far off and the unclean places our lives have seen? 
He sends his word, his gospel, to embrace us with a father's embrace, an embrace that leaves no room for doubt, his gospel embrace, that each time we return saying to him, Father, I've sinned, an embrace that affirms and reaffirms and confirms to you week after week and day after day your sonship, his word, and his sacraments too. In the sacraments, he gives us the ring. And the robe of a son, doesn't he? And he gives the slain fattened calf to prove it. For in baptism he dons us with a festal robe and he signs us with a seal that makes and marks us who we are and what we are. We're not servants, we're his sons. Sons of the Father so that all that he has is yours. And you know well that a father's feast, the best that he has, has been prepared for you in his sacrament of the altar. For you who were lost and yet have been found, call it the fatted calf. Scripture calls him the Lamb of God, whose blood has been shed, whose body has been prepared for the eating. So taste here as often as you do. And see that the Lord is gracious, he's good. Isn't this where we fit in? Isn't this where we fit in there's no room here but for rejoicing how could we now sit out in the field like the older brother and refuse to rejoice with the angels in all of heaven whenever one who's been wayward is found and returned and restored Christ warns us against this kind of waywardness too doesn't he I suppose this one's really a warning for the well-seasoned Christian. Maybe it has been, as the older son said, lo, for these many years that we've been in our father's house and serving him. Perhaps we've seen some come and then go and go far and go wide and then come back again and again and again. And maybe you think that these should have to earn their status again. In the Father's house. Friend, is it not right that we should make merry and be glad? For your brother was dead, but is alive again. He was lost, but has been found. Do you know the most prodigal figure in this parable today? It's not the younger son. It's not the older one. It's the father. The father is most wasteful, most extravagant, most lavish with his kindness and his, and his compassion, his possessions. Our heavenly fathers like that. He would have all to be saved and to come to know that because of Christ, he's not dealt with us according to our transgressions, but makes our cups runneth over. And that's prodigal love. It's prodigal love. Enjoy this pearl of a parable. 
It's yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.